Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by Jack Kane Ford. Find your next Ford Tough vehicle at KaneFord.com. Woodhill Community Center. Have a hand in the heart of the city. Support their mission with your donations at WoodhillCommunityCenter.org. Toyota in Nicholasville Superstore. Online consultants are standing by right now to help you find your next Toyota. Visit ToyotaOnNicholasville.com. Lexus of Lexington, home of the best-selling Lexus IS. Find yours today at LexusOfLexington.com. Did you know that half of America is single? Hollywood has never produced anything like this before. The Dating Project, a groundbreaking documentary that follows five single people, ages 18 to 40, as they search for authentic and meaningful relationships. There is no script. There are no actors. These are real people trying to find love and happiness in an age of swiping left or right. From Empower Pictures, Paulist Productions, Family Theater Productions, and Pure Flix. You can now own The Dating Project. Save the date by visiting thedatingprojectmovie.com and go a step further and help others in your circle date differently by partnering with Ascension Press. Visit shop.ascensionpress.com to acquire the companion study guide. The Dating Project movie is now available on DVD and digital download on Amazon, iTunes, and Walmart. Please visit thedatingprojectmovie.com for details. Well, howdy, folks. All things are possible with God. We're going to be looking not at Duck Dynasty today, but Monk Dynasty, and we're going to be looking at the monks, the first monks, in the Egyptian deserts and how that applies to us today. Come back and join us. All things are possible with God. Well, howdy, folks. This is John Michael Talbot. We're going to be looking at Monk Dynasty, All Things Are Possible with God. We've already looked in the last program at some of the basis, but we looked at the word manas for monk, which means one and alone, to live for God and God alone, and eremas for solitude, for the desert, for the wilderness, and how Jesus and John the Baptist, they're good examples of Scripture. But, you know, we also have some examples from Matthew 24. It says, Then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. And in the early days, people did indeed flee into the wilderness to escape persecution that came especially from the Roman government. But as things were more accepted, they began to go into the desert for more positive reasons. Uh, Jesus, before he began his ministry, Matthew 4, 1, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And what we discover in this desert tradition is men and women who indeed, they, they go into a, a serious, serious testing mode. 
when they don't get to eat the way they want or drink the way they want or hang out with people the way they want. Well, who they really are is really exposed and they discover a lot of darkness there and they had to bring that to the light of Jesus, to the purging of Jesus, and the forgiveness of Jesus. And then they went back out into ministry. Jesus himself says he would often withdraw to deserted places, Eremas, to pray. So even Jesus, the Son of God, as a human being, he needed that balance between activity and contemplation. And we do too. We do too. So we're going to be looking now in this program to Egypt. Egypt is often seen as kind of the, oh, the paradigm, the, the, the matrix, uh, the ideal monasticism. Well, as we'll study in this program series, we'll see that monasticism cropped up, oh, from lots of different places. It came up rather organically in the Christian experience that was all around the Mediterranean in the Middle East. But we want to look in this program to Egypt. Um, one thing that's kind of interesting is if you study monastic history, and I hope some of you do, you'll run across a confusing terminology. Lower Egypt and Upper Egypt. Well, because we're moderns, we think that Upper Egypt must be north and Lower Egypt must be south. Indeed, it's the exact opposite. In, in When you read monastic history, they will use the language of the early Egyptians. Lower Egypt is north, where the Nile opens up into the Mediterranean because the Nile is flowing downstream. So Lower Egypt <laughs> is north. Upper Egypt is up around the Aswan Dam and up in that area where the Nile originates and where it flows down into the Mediterranean. So this is a, kind of an important point. Lower Egypt is where, oh, St. Antony of the Desert and St. Macarius and the more eremitical and semi-eremitical are basically the more solitude-oriented monasticism really took hold. And it was first. A few years later, in Upper Egypt, we see St. Pacomius, who brought together a form of monasticism that was for intentional Communities, And we're going to be looking at St. Anthony and St. Pacomius in this particular program. St. Anthony lived from, I'm looking at my board here, forgive me, 251 to 356 A.D. So the third and the fourth centuries. Uh, he's called sometimes the father of monasticism. But there was a guy who lived there before him and even one who lived back in the second century already in Egypt. So he is kind of a, uh, an example, an ideal model of a father of monasticism, but people did predate him. Paul the Hermit, who the Spirit told him that he wasn't the first guy, that there was somebody else. Paul the Hermit lived there from 228 to 343 A.D., so he predated him. Paul the Hermit went there under persecution. His family, under the Roman Empire, was persecuting Christians, and they were going to turn him over to the authorities for punishment for being a Christian. So Paul fled, and he stayed uh, in the mountainous deserts of Egypt. Antony of the desert was a little different. Antony, um, well, he just was, he, he, he converted to Christ. He had some land. He got rid of it. He heard the gospel, Matthew 19, to go and sell everything. 
and to come back and follow Jesus. So Antony went and he did that. He had a sister and he checked his sister in with some, some uh, ascetical women, kind of precursors to what today we call sisters or nuns. And so that was happening already. And he places himself under a little holy man outside of his village and then he hears the call to go further into solitude. So, Antony of the Desert is really the father of Christian monasticism as a model, as an ideal, and he is one of the first ones to really go off for a positive reason into solitude. Now, when we look at uh, desert monasticism and the monasticism of Lower Egypt, of St. Antony of the Desert, you'll hear three different places mentioned. And we're going to put a couple of maps up to show you where they actually are. One, you'll hear of Scetus. You'll hear of another called Nitria, another called Celia or Celia. And uh, Scetus comes from Shehit, which means a place of the weight. Nitria is named for Niter, which is kind of a, a, a sultan... Uh, material that they used industrially and, and domestically for bleaching things, for cleansing things. And Celia, Celia comes from the word cell, where, where, which similar to celestial, where heaven and earth meet. So it was a place for greater solitude. There's a little neat story for this. Uh, it says, Abba Antony once went to visit Abba Amon on Mount Nitria. Mount Nitria is really not much of a mountain, but they called it Mount Nitria. And when they met, Abba Amon said, By your prayers, the number of the brethren is increasing, and some of them want to build more cells where they may have, more, excuse me, where they may live in peace. The word for peace there is Hezekiah, which means sacred stillness. How far away from here do you think we should build the cells? So Abba Anthony said, let us eat at the ninth hour and then let us go out for a walk into the desert to explore the country. So they went into greater solitude. What you need to understand is that in these early monastic communities, uh, hundreds of people came to join them. This was not some small thing of twos and threes and tens and twelves. No, we now know, as we dig up the archaeological digs, these were these were big places. What they did in the north, or in the north, in Lower Egypt, with uh, Antony and Macarius and folks like this, Abbot Amon that we just heard about, is they lived a colony life. They didn't live in strict Christian community yet. What was the colony? Well. Uh, 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 a father would go off into solitude, into silence. His holiness would become known, and people would come to join him. Sometimes they would live in the cell with him. Sometimes they would not. Sometimes they would build their own cells. And so they began to build cells, hermit cells, scattered around a common chapel. And they would live in solitude all week, and then they would come back together on Saturday for the synaxis prayers, the gathering. The word synaxis means gathering, the gathering prayers. They would have an agape, a love feast, a common meal. And then Sunday morning they would have a Eucharist together and they would go back out into solitude. So they followed a colony pattern. They didn't pray together every day. The monks recited all 150 psalms every day and worked all day. They, they made ropes and they were self-supporting. 
So they didn't have common prayers like we think of monastic prayers. That happened later. They would go out at the ninth hour, uh, which is three in the afternoon, and they would pray out in the garden of their cell so that they could hear each other praying the Psalms. That's the closest thing they had to daily common prayers. What's that say to you and me? Most of us live out in, oh, secular life. And we gather together, maybe for Mass on Sunday or Saturday night. Maybe we gather one more time a week for a special ministry or for a special support group. But we live the rest of our time out in our common homes. I think the colonies have a great lesson for us. That we, too, have to kind of be on our own. And then we gather together once a week to build each other up. The monks in Lower Egypt did that way before us. So let's take that colony example of monasticism and apply that to our own position today as we follow Jesus in the secular world in modern life. All things are possible with God.
are the people, the sheep of his flock. Come, let us worship the Lord. Howdy, everybody. Welcome back. In this segment, we're going to move from Lower Egypt, which is up in the north with the hermits, down to Upper Egypt, which is at the mouth of the Nile, further up the Nile, because the mouth flows down. So Lower Egypt is north. Upper Egypt is south. Sounds kind of crazy, but that's the way it is. All right, we're going to be looking at St. Pacomius. Pacomius lived from 292 to 340 AD, and he's the founder of what we called the Koinonia, the Pacomian Koinonia. Koinonia is a Greek word that we find anywhere in Scripture where the word community or communion or fellowship you'll always find the word koinonia there. And it's where we get the Latin communio, so the whole spirituality in the modern church of, of really being in communion, common union. It all goes back to, to koinonia. So and, or, excuse me, Pacomius wanted to bring koinonia to the many people, community. So he's the founder of monastic, not the colony, but the community. An angel appeared to him. The angel pointed to a to a headdress, a hood. So the hood was the headgear of an infant. So the angel pointed to the hood, and he was holding this angel a rule, which implied that Pacomius was supposed to go out of his hermitage and to bring this way of life, not to just a few hundred like it happened up in the colonies in Lower Egypt, but to thousands. And the Pacomian Koinonia was extremely successful. But it was a strict community. What does that mean? It means that they prayed together every day, three times a day, a couple of times in the big church of these big monastic cities. And they would pray once in the little house. The houses were were made up of ten monks or so, looked over by a dean. It's where we get the modern deanery. And... They were grouped according to their skill. So, you know, farmers would live in this house and that house. Uh, Woodworkers would live in this and that house. So they grouped together in kind of guilds and they would pray together in there every day. So we see the notion of community really, really exploding in Upper Egypt. So daily prayer, real community, uh, daily stuff, daily stuff. So we have Lower Egypt, which is Antony of the Desert with the colony and a more intentional community with St. Pacomius. This speaks to us today. We have different people with different ways, don't we, of entering into Christian community. Some people are called to a less intense Christian community where they gather together once or twice a week. Other people are called to a form of community that's more intense where they're together every day. They pray together every day. They work together every day. So these two different expressions are foundational to our understanding of consecrated life in the Catholic Church and in Eastern and Anglican churches, but also uh, for Christianity in general. Different strokes for different folks. See, we're each called as Jesus calls us. There's not one pattern for everyone. One size does not fit all. Okay, well, monasticism began to grow and it spread. It spread first 
into Palestine. It goes back up into the land of Egypt, or back into the land of Jesus, excuse me. And it happened first with a fellow named Hilarion. <laughs> Hilarion! It comes from the word hilaros in Greek, where we get hilarious, and it means cheerful. So St. Hilarion was a cheerful guy. He was born in 291 A.D., and he died in 371 A.D. He was a disciple of St. Anthony uh, of the desert in Lower Egypt, and he goes up to, back up into Palestine. He becomes very famous. Thousands of people are crowding into the Gaza. You know the Gaza. It's where all the trouble is today. But back then, it was uh, a place for monastic settlements. And thousands of, and he doesn't like all the crowds, so he just, and he doesn't like being famous, so he runs away. And he runs back into Egypt and then around the coast of Africa, all the way around Libya and Algiers, what today we would call Libya and Algiers. And he gets famous again. He becomes a hermit. He works miracles. He's always healing people. So solitude flows over into community. You know, contemplation flows over into ministry. It just happens. And he says, I can't stand the fame. I've got to be alone. So he went across the Mediterranean over into Cyprus. Same pattern. He got famous. <laughs> he died there. And finally they took his body. <laughs> Where? Back to Gaza. <laughs> so he made a whole circle. He was the first really traveling monk. And there were also some other great teachers. Uh, uh, Barsanufius and John... Uh, took the teaching of the Desert Fathers, and we find there some of the first writings of the early church fathers condensed in a very pastoral way. I recommend you read those letters. Those letters are really, really good. They're really, really instructional. Another fellow named Dorotheus, he lived in Gaza, and Dorotheus teaches us taking responsibility. He's the first guy that teaches us that if I have a problem with my brother, don't say, what's the matter with you? You have a problem with me. No, clean your side of the street. He says, if, if they're angry, maybe you said something that they didn't like. Well, if you can't, th maybe you said something years ago. And he takes it even further. He says, maybe if you didn't offend that brother, you offended somebody else. And God is just using this brother to draw your attention that there's things in your life that need healing. So he really stands very strongly. Do not fall into the blame game. He says, we have found it is the only way to live in peace with each other in community. Well, there's many others. Uh, the great, Euthemius is a great monastic founder in, in uh, Palestine for the Koinonia-type community. And then we have Marsaba. If you're ever outside of Bethlehem, go to Marsaba, the, the monastery of St. Sabas. So we have all these wonderful, wonderful, wonderful examples. Let's look at some of the teachings. We're just going to look at a few of them because read the sayings and the lives of the Desert Fathers. You'll find them just fascinating. The first is just Antony of the Desert. Antony says, Lord, I want to be saved, but these thoughts don't leave me alone. What shall I do in my affliction? How can I be saved? A short while afterwards, when he, you got up to go out, Antony saw a man like himself sitting at his work. He'd sit and work for a while, then he'd get up and he'd, he'd pray, then he'd sit down and he'd work. And he heard the angel say to him, do this and you will be saved. At these words, Antony was filled with joy and courage. He did this and he was saved. In other words, we've got to have a balance in our life. 
between contemplation and action. If all you do is work, you burn out. If all you do is pray and never have any outlet to, to work, to, to labor, you get stagnant. So Antony couldn't figure it out, out how to find that right balance, and an angel shows him how to do it. But you've got to have times for solitude. Antony says, just like fish die when they're out of water, so the monk dies when he leaves his cell too much. See, that kind of speaks to that tendency that we have, doesn't it? Oh, gee, I'm bored. I'll go do something. Oh, I'll go here. I'll go there. No, sometimes what you need to do is stay put. Let God talk to you right here, right now. You don't need to go anywhere. You don't need to turn on the TV. You don't need to listen to music. You don't need to... No, stay. Let Jesus talk to you and change you. See, what powerful lessons these are. Uh, wonderful thing. Sometimes we have trouble. We can't stop talking. There's Abbot Pambo. He kept a little pebble in his mouth for three years. Sometimes it takes discipline, doesn't it? To learn how to just shut up. You know, sometimes we think God didn't say anything if we're not talking. <laughs> no, sometimes you need to be silent and still and, and let God do the talking. Lastly, we have a great little teaching from Abbot Sizos. And he says, Abbot, what should I do? I fell down. The elder answered, get up. He says, but I fell down. I got up and I fell down again. The elder replies, get up again. But the young monk asked, how long should I get up and fall? The abbot answered, until you die. Sizzo says, for a man heeds to his judgment either fallen or getting back up again. What do we do? There's this wonderful song. We fall down. And we get up. So the monks are regular people. They're called to an extraordinary lifestyle, but they're regular, ordinary people just like us. And we fall down, don't we? Guess what? Get up. All things are possible with God. He wants to heal us. No matter how many times you fall, boom, get back up. Find that solitude. Find that silence. Find your way of living in community. These ancient monks have a lesson for us today. Jesus, teach us this lesson. I love you guys. See you next time. In the cave of the heart In the cave of the heart Seated in freedom In all your Silence your heart Silence your soul senses in single-minded devotion in the cave of the heart in the cave of the heart in the cave of the heart 
cave of the Introducing the redesigned CatholicSingles.com, featuring new ways that put the spotlight on the person and their faith, not just a profile picture. For the past 20 years, faithful Catholics have used CatholicSingles.com, and the reimagined CatholicSingles.com website is ready to help single Catholics take the next step in sharing meaningful relationships with other faithful Catholics. Remember, CatholicSingles.com for faith, fellowship, and love.